Hello, hello, hello. Good morning. Happy Saturday. Welcome to episode 10 of Sheep Thrills. This season is just... It's both zooming by and also going as slowly as physically possible. Um, so... Anyway, we're approaching the end of the semester. We've only got a couple episodes left. I do not know when the last week of programming is. And I'm going to assume it's the last week, like the last weekend of April, which, if we'll consult our handy-dandy calendar, means that mm, potentially we have two more weeks of shows after this. So get excited um, as we get to both the end of the season and the end of the semester. Everything is starting to starting to happen nice and fast for us. But here we are. Again, happy Saturday morning. I hope you all are doing quite well. Uh, uh, you know, you survived the, the rain of the last week. Hopefully we can get through a couple days with no rain. It was sunny yesterday and then it poured all night. So that's unfortunate. But, you know, here we are. We do what we do. We make it through. We survive. Um... So anyway, with all of that being said, let's get started. Um, the first major update up top, of course, is that Congress finally voted to confirm Supreme Court Justice nominee Ketanji Brown Jackson uh, with a final vote of 53 to 47. So that means three Republicans came across the aisle, which I don't want to get it wrong. But as always, I'm pretty sure it was Collins, Murkowski and Romney. Um, so that's that. Um, very exciting and very historic. All good. It was not necessarily super surprising that the vote went through. Um, we kind of knew what the vote was going to be um, a couple of days ago, just by the nature of members of members of the Senate telling us what their votes were going to be. So it's 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 no longer uh, uh, too much of like a big surprise how those votes are going to fall. But anyway, we uh, it's also you know the Biden administration is not going to let a Supreme Court nominee fail because that is not. That would not be effective for them. It would not work out well for them. But anyway, um, also, shout out to filibuster-proof nomination votes. Imagine the absolute chaos if we weren't able to um, nominate any judges or anything because of the filibuster and we couldn't get a single appointment through. That would be a disaster. It's almost like... Now, this is this is a little bit too early for my soapboxes. I'm literally three minutes into the show. Um, but yeah, just goes to show you like how much you can get done when the filibuster isn't there and isn't in the way. It's no, nobody's nobody's, you know, kicking their feet and screaming because um, Kataji Brown Jackson didn't have a super majority of votes. Like, anyway, the, the, the things we can do without a filibuster. Anyway. That's that's just that's just my that's my first soapbox of the day. We're not going to talk about it too much, but anyway, that is very exciting. Katanji Brown Jackson, uh, they had an uh, they had an event at the White House yesterday, um, one of the South Lawn or whatever, um, and they you know presented her to the world, and now uh, it's just a matter of Stephen Breyer officially resigning and Katanji Brown Jackson being officially sworn in. Um, but I assume that will happen pretty soon. Um, and also just like all of the, all of the media that came out around the, um, the confirmation vote was very lovely. I, again, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but Ketanji Brown Jackson just seems like a delightful human being. Like she just seems really sweet. Um, and so to, to, you know, to watch her be successful, um, and just to, just to see how like truly happy she was, was pretty cool. It was very nice to, ni nice to watch, nice to see, nice to, um, you know, it's a major historic moment, and I think that that wasn't lost on many people. Um, and so it was cool to kind of watch her, wa watch her like have that moment sink in. Um, and I'm I'm happy for her, and I'm happy for her family, and I hope that she has a long and successful tenure on the United States Supreme Court. With all that being said, let's get on to the bad news. Um, today we are going to talk about Elon Musk becoming part of the Twitter board and. Uh, him buying a whole lot of stock in Twitter. We're going to do a little bit of a deep dive into the controversial Title 42 policy um, in that's kind of been making a lot of noise in Congress and the executive branch this week. Um, and then we're going to do a little bit of a 
con- congressional update. We had another week in session, so we're going to go through some of the major big updates from the the week in session. Um, and then we're going to wrap up with not one, but two fabulous and vaguely horrifying stories. Not even vaguely, like pretty truly horrifying. Um, but, you know, politics is not real. We, this is not, we do not live in a real world where things happen normally. Um, and so we're going to do two shows or two stories that, that, that represent that theme as always. So also just as an update, um, the mask mandate at GW has been lifted. And so I am finally able to do my show without a mask, which is very exciting. It also means that I'm able to drink my water. So if you hear water sounds, it's me drinking my water because boy, just talking 55 minutes straight make me need to drink water. Anyway, just a little, just a little bit of a, a warning there. If you hear any swallowing sounds, I'll try to move away from the mic if and when I do so, but anyway. So let's get into the first story. Um, Mr. Elon Musk, our dear frenemy, Elon Musk, um, recently bought 9.2% stake in Twitter, uh, which makes him the largest shareholder in the company. Um, that stick was worth $3 billion before the announcement of, of him buying all that stock. And then it was worth $3.5 billion after the announcement. Um, so there are two reasons why this story... Well, I guess, look, two reasons why the story is important to me. And then a myriad of reasons why it's important outside of me. But one, I really don't like Elon Musk. And so anything that Elon Musk does, I pay attention to because I don't like him which I know maybe seems like an oxymoron, but whatever. Um, and then two, I love Twitter and I spend too much time on Twitter and therefore things that change with Twitter will have an impact on my life. And therefore we're going to talk about it. Um, and I'm sure if anyone who's listening follows politics uh, closely in any way, they're also probably on Twitter and they also probably care a lot about, you know, what, what changes are happening and what's on the horizon for the platform, um, just because it's uh, important to pay attention to. So anyway, Twitter, and all, you know, this is like the, the, the main overarching issue here is that Twitter, and Elon, this is Elon's own assertion that Twitter serves as a de facto public town square. So it's not the most you know, profitable of platforms. It's not the platform that every single person is on. It's not Facebook in that sense. Um, but it does have a very significant effect on public opinion. Um, and so again, just kind of on a macro level, that's another reason why the story is so important is because this is a, um, this is a platform that influences public opinion. It, you know, directly, you can, you can have a direct conversation with a member of Congress. A member of Congress can be influenced one way or the other by look, scrolling through their Twitter feed, at least theoretically. Um, and it's where a lot of people consume their news. It's where a lot of people consume, you know, entertainment and music and all these other things. It's a very, very consolidated platform in that sense. And so Elon Musk having a greater sway of influence over that, again, is significant. Um, so his big thing is that he's, he wants to make that public town square better. And that's the reason that he bought so much stock. Um, but the issue with this is many fold. One, you basically owning it is probably not going to make things better. Just right off the bat. Sorry, Elon. And number two, once again, we have like realistically four guys that own everything. All right. We've got Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, and like Bill Gates. And, like they own everything. And, um, you know, especially like once Instagram and Facebook consolidated, um, now they're all under meta or whatever. I don't, whatever, what, whatever, whatever. Um, now we have, you know, one person, Mark Zuckerberg, who is, has so much influence over like three quarters of the internet or like every major platform basically, except for Twitter. And now to have Elon Musk in charge of Twitter and already having the large platform that he has, he's just able to extend his influence so far. My fear is that allowing him to extend his influence in this way will basically mean that he has free, he has free reign to say whatever he wants. He has free reign to, you know, he has free reign to, to, to push the narrative in any particular sense the way that he wants. And that's, that's a little bit upsetting. 
Um, so given the size of this investment, it is clear that he doesn't want to be a, a passive investor. Like he does want to kind of play a large role in the in the movings and shakings of Twitter. Um, and he's been given a board seat. Um, and so this is also, this is again the second major Twitter shakeup since Jack Dorsey announced that he was leaving um, last November. Um, and so he kind of announced that he was leaving pretty suddenly. Um, and then he kind of turned over the position of CEO to um, this former chief technology officer, technological officer, whatever, um, Parag Argwal, um, who Elon frankly has not been quiet about not supporting. Um, he posted a lot of mean things on Twitter, which like, of course he did. Um, and so it's, it's, it's again significant that um, this man has so much money that he was able to say, mm, I don't like the way that this person is running my favorite social media platform. So instead of like investing all of the time and R&D into developing my own social media platform, I'm just going to go ahead and become the majority stakeholder in the company. Like I'm going to buy more stake than Jack Dorsey himself, who only owns 2.3% of the company. Like it's so aggressive and it's so Elon Musk and it's so obnoxious and it's very much succession vibes, um, which makes me laugh. So anyway, it's very clear that Elon Musk did not like the way that the direct did not like the way Argwal was taking Twitter, what direction he was taking Twitter, and so he wanted to intervene in any way possible, and he did that by spending three billion dollars to buy nine point two percent of the company. Um, and so it's it's also interesting to think about. Um, so yeah, he's he's more interested in being an activist investor as opposed to a passive investor. He's only interested in kind of like increasing the price of the stock. Um, there have been multiple instances of Twitter being subject to activist investors who, you know, want to make a difference on the platform. Um, a hedge fund called Elliott Management um, pushed for changes to the platform about a year ago on the corporate level, basically like just making them be a little bit more responsive, uh, announcing where their money is coming from and all those kinds of things. Um, but Jack Dorsey managed to basically hold them off, um, although it's kind of been implicated that um, this kind of push was sort of part of why Jack Dorsey ended up leaving the platform. Um, I couldn't find anything like official on that, but there was just a couple like little like side points and a couple articles I read. Um, and then of course, as, as I'm sure you all know, there's just a lot of uh, political activism that happens around Twitter and on Twitter and just surrounding Twitter. Um, and of course, like the, the, the one of the biggest social media events of the past several years uh, was Donald Trump's Twitter account getting banned from the platform, um, as well as, you know, fairly uh, a couple other high level suspensions and, and bannings that have happened on the platform. Marjorie Taylor Greene, et cetera, et cetera. Um, people who they claimed uh, violated their, their terms of service by, you know, pushing through misinformation and, and other things like that. So there's been a lot of conversation there around, you know, what is Twitter's role in free speech? What is their responsibility in terms of free speech? What does free speech mean on Twitter? And Elon Musk's big assertion is that Twitter isn't doing enough to support free speech. Um, assumedly, that means that he doesn't believe that, that Donald Trump should have been banned from the platform and that their, their concerns about the terms of service are um, incorrect. But eh, who knows? I'm so sorry to swallow right into the mic. That was so rude. Okay. Anyway. Um, and again, just because Twitter is a small company and it doesn't rake in as much money, it does not mean that it doesn't play a huge role in, in public dis discourse. And I think the misinformation from Twitter also plays an extremely significant role. I was just talking to a friend last night um, kind of about this and about mis misinformation on Twitter. And she was telling me that... Um, she read an article that, and I, I have not fact-checked this claim, but I also believe and trust her. Um, she told me that the since the war started in Ukraine, the amount of misinformation around COVID has dropped drastically. We can only assume that because a, a huge part of all of that misinformation um, is coming from Russian trolls and Russian bots um, that are just interested in kind of destabilizing um, the United States. So there's all of that misinformation comes straight through on Twitter. 
um, and on Facebook and in places where people are vulnerable and where people are trying to find their new opinions. Um, and I, I think that you only have to look at the like the huge role that Twitter played in the entirety of the Trump administration to see, again, how significant Twitter is as a platform and how significant it is to public discourse and to public communication and just in general to the way people create and refine their opinions. Um, not everyone is active on Twitter, but everyone sees tweets. That's it. Um, and then again, it goes back to the question that I, or the, the, the thought that I brought up a little bit earlier in terms of four guys owning everything. Should it be that if you have more money, your voice is louder? I think that the, the cool thing about social media, well, maybe, I don't know. The, the cool thing about social media is that anyone can have, maybe, okay, the cool thing about Twitter <laughs> is that anyone can have a platform, anyone can be heard, and it doesn't matter what your income bracket is. It also doesn't matter, like, on Instagram, you're only going to get likes if you're pretty. Whatever. On Twitter, you don't have to be pretty. You just have to be unhinged. Um, and I think that's a powerful thing. Um, and I'm going to use that as a pull quote for something, because that's important to me. Um, so Twitter, Twitter allows everybody to have that equal footing regardless of what they look like, regardless of what their background is, regardless of what their, uh, what, what they look like. In general, you kind of, everyone has an equal opportunity to be a niche Twitter micro-influencer. Um, and that's not an opportunity that you have on other platforms. So I think that's valid. I think that's really valuable. And I think that the idea that more money should give you more influence, should give you a louder voice on these platforms, is not necessarily the greatest way to go. And again, Elon Musk is one of the most popular people on the app. He has whatever, 80 million followers or whatever. Um, and so he doesn't need the louder voice. He doesn't need the louder influence to influence what's going on in the platform um, and to kind of influence public opinion in general. Um, social media also in general plays a huge role in um, lobbying and in governmental relations because social media is such a huge market um, and has so much economic influence and has so much, again, policy influence that by giving Elon Musk 10% of this company, you're, you're opening the door to allow him into the halls of government even more than he was. And he's going to influence things there and he's going to kind of continue to change things to, to work in his favor even more, which I don't necessarily think is the greatest thing in the world. I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily think that we should want him to have that greater influence over our culture, over public opinion, over policy. Um, and giving him control over social media allows him to do that. We've already seen what chaos um, Mark Zuckerberg has been able to produce just by nature of, of, of going to Congress and you know, speaking at hearings and all these different things, and I don't, I don't think we need that um, from, from anybody else. I also don't think it's good that four guys own everything. Stop owning everything. It's annoying. <sighs> but anyway, um, and also just kind of, this is, this is again, a little bit more macro. I kind of keep going a little bit too far into Elon Musk in specific. Um, but it's also a question of what should Twitter's role in censorship be? And of course, I, I personally mean censorship in the loosest of terms because I don't like necessarily, I think that that's, it's, it's too strong of a buzzword to describe exactly what's happening. Um, however, Twitter is a, you know, Twitter's a private company. They're allowed to have terms of service um, in the same way that, you know, free speech does not, free speech does not mean unlimited speech. Um, uh, additionally, free speech does not mean that everyone is forced to listen to you speak. Um, you're allowed to talk, but that does not mean that you have to listen. This show is a good example of that. I, I, I can speak. I can say what I would like, but y'all are not required to listen to me. Um, and that's a valuable thing because that's freedom in itself as well. Um, so again, Twitter is, is allowed to limit free speech on their platform because they're a private entity. They're a private entity that's allowed to have terms of service, allowed to 
say, no, you can't spread misinformation on the platform. You can't um, talk about certain things. You can't send death threats to people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, you know, not, not, I don't think that Twitter is a perfect company by any means. It's a cesspool. It's a bad place. And it is probably the root of, like, a lot of mental illness. Um, not my own, certainly, but I'm sure some people's. <laughs> but anyway, where was I? Oh, wow. I just completely lost my place there. Anyway, um, it's, yeah, Twitter is accessible. It's not a good place, and it certainly does need some pretty aggressive, um, I think, internal changes to, to kind of become a better platform and become a better place on the internet. Um, but I don't think that Elon Musk is going to take the, the platform in that direction because he wants to, you know, based on what he said and based off of what people have talked about, he wants to kind of open up the floodgates more to quote unquote free speech, which in my mind opens the platform up to more misinformation and more content that is going to continue to polarize people and radicalize people um, and just not kind of cause chaos instead of um, kind of helping to, to bring people together. It's also important to note that Donald Trump's new social media platform, Truth Social, which is, you know, they're having a great time. They're doing really well over there. I'm sure that uh, David Nunes is really glad that he quit his job in Congress to go be the CEO of Truth Social, but that's really neither here nor there. Um, they have terms of service, um, and they have limitations on what speech you are and are, are not allowed to use on the platform. And it's significant there because Donald Trump was like, oh, well, if they're going to limit my speech on Twitter, I'm going to go make my own social media platform so that nobody can limit my speech ever. Um, meanwhile, on the Truth Social Terms of Service, they say that one of the major one of the major limitations on the platform is that you can't use it to disparage, quote, us and or the site. Us, I'm assuming, meaning the, you know, the board of Truth Social being Donald Trump, meaning that if you go onto Truth Social and you say something mean about Donald Trump or you say something mean about Truth Social, you can get kicked off the platform, which is hilarious. And it's so much more explicit than any kind of limitations on speech that Twitter is doing. And I just think it's significant to, um, you know, look at, look at that, look at that dichotomy there of like, yeah, they're claiming that it's violations of free speech, but what's, what's the, again, what's the actual underlying thing? They're saying something with their words, but they're saying something completely different with their actions. They don't care about free speech in general. They care about their ability to say anything they want, anytime and force people to listen. And that is not the way the world works. I'm so sorry to tell you, Donald Trump. Um, but anyway, my last note on this story is that tangentially, Elon Musk gets bullied on Twitter so much that I would not be surprised if he just bought that much of the company because he realized like, oh, I can stop people from saying mean things about me and Grimes if I buy the whole company. Sure. And I love that for him. Um, and I think that when... Uh, when when he gets ratioed next, it's going to be really fun to watch because it's going to not only are we going to know that we're ratioing Elon Musk, we're going to know that we're ratioing uh, the, the majority stakeholder in the company on the platform. And that's going to be really, really fun. So that's all I've got on Elon. I mean, I could probably continue to talk about this for a long time, but in the interest of time and also in the interest of um, not being boring, we're going to move on to the next story, which is on title 42 um also i'm going to take a drink of water so i'm so sorry for the brief silence and hopefully not swallowing sounds okay i could still hear the swallowing i'll figure it out okay anyway um big fight that's happening across the government right now is in regards to title 42 um which i may or may not have uh, mentioned at some point over the past couple months or years frankly but basically it's a uh, trump era pandemic policy basically allows the government to turn people away at the border um, who they believe may pose some kind of public health risk. Um, so by that, they mean anybody who they suspect may or may not have COVID. Um, they're not going to let into the country. Um, and the way that they've actually used that policy in practice is that they've turned away basically everyone um, and they have not 
allowed anybody basically to ap- apply for asylum um, or to kind of come into the country, try to figure things out, and then um, move along. So, um, yeah, so again, basically this allows border agents to turn people around indiscriminately, doesn't give them the opportunity to kind of go through the regular process. It, it doesn't matter. I don't, I don't, I haven't read anything about like whether or not people are actually vaccinated that they're turning away, but they are, um, in fact, just saying, nope, not, no, 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 go away, turn around. Um, and so the Biden administration has recently, I think it got leaked or he announced plans, um, Biden administration is planning on ending its use of the policy because, as we know, the executive branch does not create policy, but they are in charge of the enforcement of policy, meaning that they can enforce what they would like to enforce and not enforce what they don't want to enforce. Heck yeah, executive branch politics. Um, So anyway, they're planning on on suspending their use of the policy, reverting to the pre-pandemic policy of detaining everyone that comes across the border um, illegally, and so that they can either deport them or release them to seek asylum. Um, So kind of going back to the original process, which is a little bit more, um, you know, catch and release rather than just turning them around. Um, So as with every immigration related thing, there's a whole lot of opinions and thoughts and feelings, most of them bad, except for mine, as always, as we know. Um, And also a lot of the takes are like extremely problematic and racist, but that's neither here nor there. Um, so the different groups kind of talking about this, one border officials uh, are basically arguing that they um, aren't going to be able to turn them all around immediately because they're going to be overwhelmed by people at the border, which I don't know, whatever, maybe maybe I don't know enough about law enforcement at the border. That kind of seems like a you problem. Like it's been two years of them not spending the money on actually doing the correct immigration policy so like i'm so sorry okay i'm so sorry um what have they been doing what have they been spending the money on over the past two years um all that's happened to border agents over the past two years is that they've continued to have their funding increased over and over and over again in every single um funding bill where is that money going what is that money going to i don't understand um, they and like why don't they have the infrastructure to support people coming across the border? Like again, what is the infrastructure that exists? What is the what are the policies that like what are they doing down there? What are they doing down there? Um, and it 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 just it's insane to me that they don't have they don't believe that they have the the infrastructure to keep undocumented immigrants safe and secure while they help them try to apply for asylum. And it just goes to show that our immigration policy has nothing to do with helping people come across the border. It has nothing to do with, you know, just trying to help people come into this country and and create a path to citizenship for them. It it, it just is, it's hateful. We have hateful immigration policies. And this, this is, I will say, probably one of my biggest criticisms of the Biden administration, of which I have several, um, but my biggest criticism is, is probably around immigration policy, just because I think it's such an aggressive hot-button issue, um, which it's it's a hot-button issue that you can get around when you're a Democrat. Like, you can, like, abortion, hot-button issue, but you can't necessarily um, gain a lot of traction as a pro-life Democrat. Um, however, as a... Um, kind of anti-immigration Democrat, you can still get a lot of swing votes and everything like that. So that's just, that's just, I think that the core of all of this is that, um, the policies don't want to be amended in a way that's helpful and good. But anyway, um, members of Congress, also just like governmental officials in general, uh, as with everything are split. Um, but notably a few Democrats from, um, border districts, um, are in, uh, you know, opposition to repealing Title 42. Um, from what I've seen, not a great group of people to throw your hat in with. Um, I think one of them is Quailar, um from Texas, who just recently got his house raided by the FBI. So, slay to him, I guess. But also, just like in general, um, it's 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 uh, it's a th- this whole issue is very very hot button. Um, and people are, are getting pretty angry about it. And of course, people at the border are more angry about it. Um, 
and people up up in up in New Jersey, as always, don't necessarily. Yeah, they care, but it's not it's not the top issue in front of them right now. Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, um, has said that he is going to fly all of the undocumented immigrants from Texas up to Washington D.C. Just because, wow. Ooh, he scared us. Undocumented immigrants in Washington, D.C. Whatever. We have an extra bed in our room. We'll take one in. I don't care. Like, what? Anyway, it's just hateful. It's just hateful and demonizing, and we're going to get into that later, but it just makes me angry. Um, so, you know, he said, like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to move the border up to you. It's just, whatever. It's so hateful. Oh, my God. But anyway. Um, so once again, why doesn't the infrastructure exist? Why can't the process be easier and cheaper and more manageable? And we've been talking about immigration for years. And I think we've probably had this exact same conversation on this show before of just like, we've been talking about this issue for so many years. We've been doing policy and doing legislation on immigration for so many years. Why isn't the infrastructure better? Why isn't the legal institutions why aren't why isn't the legal framework better why aren't there paths to citizenship what's going on what is going on but anyway um but then of course the last group that we want to talk about in terms of of how they're reacting to all of this is to public opinion and to regular people quote unquote regular people because you know no one no one is truly a regular person but anyway, you can get off that 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 soapbox. Um, you know, I'm almost the, the basically the main argument that people are making, you know, public opinion is making is that, or you know, the the the, the loud voices that we're required to hear because they're loud. Once again, free speech does not mean I have to listen to you. Um, they're basically arguing that the these people who are coming across the border are dirty and unclean and unvaccinated and sick. They're going to make the world more dirty and unvaccinated and unclean and sick. Um, and so they're saying you have to keep Title 42 in place because it is genuinely a public health issue. But of course, it you they, they there's very few people potentially maybe again. This is my own personal opinion and my own personal bias and yada, yada, yada. Um, it's very much just a dog whistle. There's very few people who actually care about the vaccination status of people coming across the border. Um, I'm almost certain, frankly, maybe this is a bad generalization. Maybe I'm going to get in trouble for this one. But, you know, I bet that a lot of the people who are arguing that unvaccinated immigrants shouldn't be able to come into the country literally had to be forced to get vaccinated because they weren't going to be able to go to school and go to work and go to restaurants if they weren't. I'm like, wouldn't wouldn't necessarily be surprised if that, you know, statistic emerged that there was a lot of vaccine hesitancy among people who are um, kind of advocating for the, the, the Title 42 policy, whatever. Um... Again, and this this kind of leads me back to my my original argument here is that not only does this is it a terrible policy because it takes away people's, you know, legal right to apply for asylum, um, even if they needed it. It also creates a pretty horribly racist dialogue around undocumented immigrants, right? By by characterizing them, not directly but indirectly, as a you know, or, or directly characterizing them as a public health risk, which in turn kind of indirectly, again, describes them as dirty or unclean, creates this like really horrible, nasty rhetoric around immigration and around um, um, undocumented immigrants, which like we, we, we wonder why there is all of this like institutionalized racism and institutionalized bias within our country. But we only have to look at the, the rhetoric that's promoted by members of the government um to see why these why these forms of bias exist they exist because they've been legitimized and they've been validated by members of congress you're allowing people to think that it's okay to automatically characterize people from south america with uncleanliness and that's a really really problematic assertion um that i don't think holds much truth or holds much validity um and it's going to impact policy, and it's going to impact the way we interact with each other. Um, 
Additionally, and somewhat tangentially, but also kind of directly, Congress refusing to leave money in the COVID funding bill for international vaccine support is significant here. Um, so not only are they not going to provide any support to people um, to help them get vac- get vaccinated, they're also going to immediately not let them apply for asylum because um, they, they, they aren't vaccinated. So it's just like this terrible catch-22 of it has nothing to do with public health. It has nothing to do with public health. It has to do with keeping people that the government seems undesirable out of our country. And that is not the way that our country should work. It's not the way that our country should operate. We're a nation of immigrants. We should be allowing people who are trying to seek asylum to come into our country, and they should be allowed to develop a path to citizenship and stay in our country and, and add to our country, because that is what immigrants do, is that they add value to our country. Um, and to claim like, oh, well, there's that, they're undocumented immigrants, murder people. Okay, well, so do people who have lived in this country for five decades or for five generations, you know? It's to, 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 to show two isolated cases of an undocumented immigrant killing somebody and using that as your, the basis of your entire argument is so messed up and it's so problematic. And then also, it's so significant that um, a lot of these people who are attempting to pl- apply for asylum because of you know, political or economic unrest in their countries, they're doing so because of the fact that the American government created the unrest that is forcing them to leave their homes. We created that unrest decades ago or years ago or like you know 15 minutes ago if we're contributing to the problem we also need to contribute to the solution and we're not doing we're not we are creating the problem and then we're letting chaos take hold um and i i think that that is you know not to use a a bad word but deplorable um i think that 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 policy and i think that 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 public opinion I don't know how to change public opinion on that. I truly don't. But I think that um, something needs to give in terms of the way we talk about immigration and in terms of the way we talk about people coming across the border. Um, and I think we only have to look at the difference of the between, and I think I've talked about this last week as well, but the difference with between the rhetoric being used around immigrants from um, Ukraine and immigrants from South and Central America to kind of understand the fact that this is rooted in racism. It really is rooted in racism. Um, people were begging the United States government to let Ukrainian refugees in when there is also political unrest, maybe not to the same scale as Ukraine, but there's still political unrest happening in South and Central America. And again, partially, more than partially, created by the American government. Again, if we're going to play a role in the problem, we need to play a role in the solution. Um, and I think the fact that we're, you know, we're accepting Ukrainian refugees with open arms, but we're not, you know, we're, 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 people are still fighting to turn people away, to turn people from South and Central America away at the border without, um, without even the, the, the courtesy of consideration. Not great. Um, so that's, that's, I don't know. Sorry, I, I got a little heated there, as always, always something. Um, but there's just a lot. There's, I've, I've been thinking a lot about rhetoric because I'm doing a, a school project on it um, in, terms of, in terms of other issues. But I, I just think that the rhetoric that is used by lawmakers and how that rhetoric is picked up by um, people and then how that kind of feedback loop gets created is really insidious and really important to to watch and consider. Why are we talking about things the way we're talking about them? And what implication does that really have? Because there's no such thing as empty words. Um, every word has a meaning, every word has significance, and every word is, is going to have some kind of larger impact uh, on our culture moving forward. Um, but yeah, that is that on Title 42. And of course, we'll continue to see um, how that debate develops in Congress and within the executive branch and um, kind of whether whether any any big changes get made to that. Um, so now we're going to move into um, this week in Congress. Uh, it was a fairly busy week, another week uh, in, in session. They are now 
standing in recess for the next couple weeks. Um, but a couple big updates. One, Nancy Pelosi has COVID. Wah, wah. Um, she has t- tested positive in the wake of a high-level White House meeting, also a bill signing the day before where she was standing maskless right next to Biden. Um, luckily, she's been reportedly asymptomatic. I'm sure Biden is testing every day and there's been no reports as of yet that he has tested positive for COVID. Um, so that is all well and good. Um, but they're old and double boosted and everything. And they, I'm sure they're getting tested very, very regularly. So I'm sure they're fine. Um, so cases do be arising in good old Washington, D.C., um, tangentially, just as GW did away with their mask mandate this week, Georgetown brought their ba- mask mandate back. I don't have enough time to get into the whole mask mandate thing, but the fact that they, whatever, we're not, we can't get into it. But GW gets rid of their mask mandate and immediately cases start to rise again. It's it's a correlation and causation thing, but it is funny. Um and this is also all of these all of these um, people testing positive is also right on the heels of um, <sighs> Congress officially living lifting their mask mandate and also starting to allow tours back in. Um, so not only are staffers and members of Congress walking around without masks, uh, now we also have uh, tourists who are coming into the building without masks. So that's that's pretty sig- significant there as well. There's a lot happening there clearly. Um, it's also significant that this particular positive case happened after 10 days straight in session, um, meaning that Nancy Pelosi interacted with a lot of members of Congress in the last two weeks. They were all on the floor. They, you know, all have been exposed. Um, so it, it could, you know, once again, our, our, one of our biggest concerns always has been, um, what what do we do if there's a super spreader event in Congress and, and something happens to incapacitate a large percentage of the body? I don't think that's going to happen. I think that was one of the kind of like the big scary fears that we had at the beginning of the pandemic. But it does, again, force us to remember that A, the pandemic is not over. B, we need to be continuing to test and, and all of these things. Um, and, and and C, it also, it also leads me to believe there's been a big push against um, continuing to allow proxy voting in, in Congress, or in the House at least. Um, so okay, proxy voting is the, the kind of pandemic era policy that allows members of Congress to uh, appoint a proxy to vote for them in the, in the event that they're not um, able to be in the body. Um, and it's people have been saying, oh, we need to get rid of proxy voting, pandemic's over, like who cares? Probably keep the proxy voting for a while, there's nothing wrong with it, might as well. Um, so anyway, Live, laugh, love this for them. Um, Other stories from Congress this week. Um, January 6th news. Several high-level testimonies for the January 6th commission have happened and are happening, including Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump this and last week. Um, Plus, they recently announced that Ali Alexander, um, who was one of the people who planned the Stop the Steal rally, um, will be testifying in front of the commission. Um, So, of course, things are continuing to move and groove with January 6th, it certainly seems like they've been picking up a lot of steam recently. Um, I think probably just because as we get closer and closer to midterms, they're going to need something, something big to announce if they kind of want to use this to swing in their advantage in any way. Um, and again, they're, they're reportedly not looking for Trump to come in and testify. Uh, and they stated that, you know, they, they know what they're going to get from a Trump testimony and they don't think that it would be protective to drag him down to the commission or do the whole rigmarole of, of contempt of Congress. They also did hold two different people in contempt of Congress uh, this week for, for not showing up to their to their subpoenas. Um, also, the Senate has voted to suspend normal trade relations with Russia. Uh, and just generally, there's been several pieces of legislation that have gone through this week um, in regards to trade with Russia and economic relations with Russia. A lot of it is broadly symbolic, as always, um, but it's still you know, it's a bill that got unanimous consent in the Senate, which is pretty rare. Um, that same legislation did not get unanimous consent in the House. Because um, as we know, Madison Cawthorn thinks that Zelensky is a thug, so we're not going to get back into that. Um, and the Senate also voted on a Lend-Lease Agreement right before they started their recess, so the House didn't have enough time to vote on it, which is causing some drama among those who want the United States kind of have a larger presence um, in a larger military presence in Ukraine. Um, 
you know, a lot can happen in the two weeks before Congress comes back into session, but it is fairly unlikely that they call an emergency session uh, unless something of truly drastic international proportions takes place. Um, but we will see what goes on there with that. Um, okay, and now, last but not least, our two in two again vaguely horrifying and maybe not the most like funny and fun and fresh and i was look when i was doing this prep i was like oh my gosh we're gonna talk about these things it's so funny and then i was like maybe it's not actually that funny at all maybe i just really have no capacity to understand things that are funny anymore and i'm just like i'm just freewheeling through life here a little bit um but anyway Number one, the greatest story of the week that turned into the worst story of the week. Again, if, if my show had happened on Wednesday, it would be like, oh my gosh, look at this amazing story. But now I have to tell you the whole story. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And there is good, there is bad, and there is ugly. Um, there was a fox on Capitol Hill this week um, who was just going around and biting people. The fox bit nine people. Um including a member of Congress and a reporter for Politico. Um, and, the, the, you know, the, apparently, the, you know, the, the Capitol Police were like, hey, there's, there's, a, there's a fox den on campus, and um, the fox is going around and biting people. So just like, if you see the fox, avoid the fox. Um, and the, the member of Congress described the, the fox, like, biting at his ankle, and he, like, had to use his umbrella to, like, shoo the fox away, which is, you know, in, in isolation... What a hilarious story. No one got injured terribly. So we can say it's pretty funny that there's a fox on campus who's going around and biting people. But then the Capitol Police were like, well, we need to figure out if she has rabies or not. So they captured the fox and the fox is three babies, three babies, and um, killed them in cold blood. In cold blood. Um, apparently they needed to, again, they needed to test them for rabies and they couldn't do that unless they were dead, which seems crazy to me. Like someone needs to like fix that technology. I don't know. Um, but like, why can't they just give the people that got bit rabies shots and just like move on with our lives? Like whether or not they actually had rabies, like, is it going to hurt? Is it going to mess them up if they, if they didn't have rabies? Like whatever. Why can't they just look at the fox from afar and say, mm, that's a rabid fox that bit eight people or be, you know, however many people unprovoked probably has rabies. Just going to make like a, like a, like a valid assertion there. Anyway, is there no justice in this world? Is there no humanity? The Capitol Police, they're homies, but they, they really did murder those foxes in cold blood. Um, the fox is also really, really cute. So look up some pictures of the Capitol Fox. It, it, brought me so much joy and then so much sadness it really the the pendulum the pendulum of my mood swung so drastically this week because of the capital fox and i miss her rest in peace rest in peace we'll never forget you um last but not least we're going to talk about another truly wild new jersey politics story um just because maybe, maybe this is a new segment maybe i'm just going to talk about one fun new jersey story every week um because there's always something. There is always something to talk about. Um, so a man who was running for Congress in South Jersey um, got pulled over and charged with a DWI last week, which is already like fairly damaging to a campaign. It's going to kind of turn into a circus because he's a public figure and all these different things. So like, yeah, it's, anytime any kind of alcohol, drug-related thing happens during a campaign, it's going to cause some kind of stink. Um, but this is a fairly even more significant case because this particular candidate when he was in college got in a drunk driving accident and killed someone with his car um he was out late drinking woke up and didn't realize that he still had alcohol in his system he got in the car he like ran a red light and he killed another student on his way to campus on his way to to i think his job which like beyond horrifying it's it's not like the most insane thing that's ever happened like it is manslaughter, and I, he was charged for it. I don't think he went to jail. I don't really know. Um, 
so but it's not it's 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 an irredeemable mistake but it's something that you can like potentially come back from like it's not going to completely stop you from kind of ever being able to do anything in the future i guess i don't know i don't really know what the moral code is there but like he could still be a member of congress even though he got in a very very bad drunk driving accident decades ago however um then he got pulled over for another dwi on the heels of everyone talking about this story so it kind of seems like this is the pattern of behavior as opposed to an isolated incident so that's significant um everyone everyone was aware of this story and everyone's been talking about this story and then again he got into more drunk driving trouble he also refused to take a breathalyzer or do a road test um he got into like a pretty significant vo like verbal altercation with the police officers that pulled him over um he said um in when they pulled him over that he had only had one double margarita um and he also said that the wind was causing him to drive erratically when when you look at the video like the dash cam footage like he was swerving like crazy forcing other cars to make evasive maneuvers um but every other car was driving like completely normally um so that argument does not hold water it also probably means that i mean look if there's one double margarita it was an extremely strong double margarita which happens but you know don't get in the car um and he also basically claimed that the police officers were conspiring with Phil Murphy to try to push him out of the race. So he's definitely going to win. And I'm not saying that sarcastically because it's New Jersey politics and he's definitely going to win um, because that's what happens in the great state of New Jersey. So with all that being said, let's see, what do we have to look forward to in the next couple weeks? We have two weeks in recess, um, so we're going to get a lot less news about um, legislation and all those different things, um, but we're going to continue to see conversations about Title 42. We're going to continue to see conversations um, around Ukraine, of course, and um, kind of about what Congress is going to do about all the different legislation that they were not able to vote on during their session weeks. Um, we're going to probably see a lot more conversation about budget appropriations happening in the next um, few weeks as that process begins to kind of kick into gear again um, for fiscal year 23. Um, let's see. Have any anything else big on the horizon? I don't. I don't believe so. Um, but of course, I. So oh yes. Okay. So I'm, we will not see you next week because it's. Easter weekend and I'm going to be at home and asleep and not awake at 8 a.m. So shout out to that. Um, but then the following week and then again, I think it's like two more weeks of programming. Um, so get excited for that. We're gonna have a great time doing our last two weeks. I am going to do the promised um, midterms review, primary midterms review. That's probably going to be the, the week after next. Um, I'm going to do that, and that's going to be really fun. And then the week after that, from our season finale, I'm going to try to do something fun and exciting and involve my friends. So we'll see how that all works out, and hopefully it does. Um, with all that being said, that's all I came here to tell you today. I hope you have a great rest of your weekend, a lovely rest of your Saturday, um, and I will talk to you guys in a couple of weeks. Have a lovely weekend.